husband and I'm a dad. I pay for that habit by selling construction equipment and that but I feel that way. You know, that's that's it's a means to an end. My yeah. job yeah. is a means to an end and and uh, that's always been what's important to me. Hey, welcome to the podcast. We're glad that you're with us. Um, I'm here with Sharon, and we just wanted to get things started um, and let you know we've got some great news. Yeah, I have a great, exciting update to let everyone know that we have officially closed on the building. So we are owners of 1225 William Blunt Drive, which is very exciting. We closed on time. Everything went really well. It's a little overwhelming that right now, David, we own two buildings, uh, but God is going to work all that out. Out, and we're yeah. excited to move forward on this new one. Awesome. Awesome. It is, it's it's a, a big sigh of relief that the closing has actually happened. Yes. Um, so we're still, we're, we're moving forward with three services coming up uh, September 11th. 11th. That's right. September 11th. We're going back to our three services that we know and love, the 830, the 10, and the 1130. Um, we are, you know, those, that, that's a, it's a quick turn and, and, and that's, it's a lot on a Sunday morning and all those things, but we've done it before. We know it works. Um, honestly, the biggest thing is that if people, um, can help us out, it would be for them to go to the 830. That's yes. always a little bit harder yes. and we need the 830 to work to make it all work. Um, but we're really excited that we've grown to the point, um, you know, that we need the three services again. Indeed. Indeed. Well, we've got a, a great lineup today. We'll hear from... Uh, Anna Kitko and Aaron has talked through uh, some exciting stuff coming up with Rocio Christie, as well as a really cool conversation between Aaron and Steve McCarter. That's Aaron's dad. Uh, you don't want to miss out. Um, and just another reminder, you can find all this info at vineyardchurch.us and then also our pretty slick app at Church Center. Um, you can search for Vineyard in your area and you'll find it. But we are just so glad that you joined us for this podcast. Uh, well, hey, everybody, I am here with, um, with Steve McCarter, and Steve McCarter, who, um, if you don't already know, is my dad. Hey, Dad. Hey, how are you, son? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks for taking a few minutes to talk yeah. uh, with us. We're going to talk about um, our, our church's anniversary here and the fact that we've hit 18 years, which is mind-blowing to me. I'm sure it's mind-blowing to you that you would have a son who's old enough to have led a church for 18 years. Yeah, not well. That's here, right? You, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that it, we're here now, um, and uh, um, I, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, Sharon and I, we started making a list, and we said, well, let's, you know, let's get the people who have been here all eighteen years, and we ended up getting with a, a list that I was like, well, that's too many to have for a podcast, and I said, well, let's get Dad here because he can go, he can go before the eighteen years, before this thing even gets started. Yeah, um, you you were involved, but. Um, so anyway, um, just a, a couple things here about you though before we get started. You're, a, you know, you're my dad. That's that's in my mind your claim to fame. But um, <laughs> you, you got a couple other kids. My 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 sisters, Crystal and Farah, and um, all of your kids landed in ministry full time, exactly. doing that with their whole lives. Yeah. Um, which is probably why a lot of people around here assume that you're a pastor uh, because I, I think maybe because like pastoring kind of runs in families a lot so but i get a lot of your dad's a pastor right i'm like not even close no <laughs> <laughs> and no you know works in heavy heavy equipment does this and that and um yeah. 
but um, one of the things I've, that's always meant a lot to me is that really um, you found your identity not in your career but in, in being a dad and yeah. has to, you've taken that more than anything as your vocation and I know that I at least have really uh, benefited from that obviously but then um, my, my oldest sister your first uh, Crystal recently uh, wrote a book called Learning to Trust the Father's Heart and yeah. it's like mostly about you <laughs> I, well, I don't know a lot of people who've had books written about them well, I'm, I wouldn't say it's about me, but it, um, I, I think she, she, it's about God. Uh-huh. It's about her Heavenly Father. Uh-huh. And, and I don't know if you remember or not, but all through your life, and, and my other kids too, uh, I used to often refer to your other dad. Uh-huh. I do remember you know, that. The one you, you can't fool, you can't um, outsmart, uh-huh. <laughs> the one that never messes up and leaves you alone uh-huh. um, all those things sees everything <laughs> knows everything he's at all he's uh-huh. at all you know and i, yeah, I tried to right. steal a few pages out of his playbook <laughs> yeah you did <laughs> you did and then um your other daughter my other sister farah um she and her husband nick lead the canvas vineyard which is a church that we planted out of this church 15 years ago okay about i think that, i think it is 15 years ago yeah i think they celebrated 15 it's not too long ago Friendsville. which is wild that that's i think it sounds weirder to me that they've been out for 15 years than that we've been out for 18 that just sounds crazy um so a lot of, a lot of ministry um uh floating around our whole our whole family um yeah. so uh i was wondering that if you remembered um when i when I called you and I said we were going to talk about before the church even started, um, Sharon and I were living in Florida at the time. We were there for just a bit. And I had stumbled on this idea that maybe now was the time to plant a church. And, and at the time I was 22, 23. Um, and I had in my, since I was in high school, I knew I wanted to plant a church, but I was going to wait till I was like 35 or 40. And all of a sudden, it's in the front of my mind in my early twenties, um, and you were you were my first call. Do you, do you remember that call? I I, I do. <laughs> How I did do. that go? Well, I, I you know you let me know that you. I, I wasn't surprised. Mm. I, I was just sort of waiting because I know you went to Florida because Sharon had a commitment there, mm-hmm. and uh, you went there and supported her and led music and did things like that at a, at a church while where she was ministering. But when when that time was up, I felt like Sharon would, you know, let's let's face it, she's your better half, and and yep, agreed. Um, you know, when you talk <laughs> about my memories about this, it really goes back to um, when I made trips often to Chattanooga with the company I work for, yeah. and I called you one time and said, "I'm coming down. Would you like to catch lunch?" And you said. Um, could a friend come? I'd like you to meet my friend. <laughs> Could you see the air quotes through the phone? <laughs> well, I was a little suspicious, but uh-huh. let's go see. But there, there was Sharon. And, uh, you know, you asked me, not right there, but later, what do I think? And mm-hmm. should you marry her? What do you think about marrying her? And, or something mm-hmm. to that effect. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but I said, if you and your other dad are both sure... <laughs> You got my blessing. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> I do remember that. So I think she goes way back beyond uh, before you actually 
Yeah. I, and I, I remember inviting inviting you to take us to, out to eat because that was the only way I could afford to buy her a meal is if you bought us a meal. <laughs> yeah, we had a nice uh, um, beefalo or something there, I think. But yeah. it was my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that line rings out in my mind because, uh, again, that was that the, the line of ask, ask your other dad or the mm-hmm. reference to your other dad. Because I remember calling you and saying, I, this seems crazy. I, I know I'm way too young. This is ridiculous. What do you think? Um, and I knew that you weren't going to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you weren't because you're really slippery when you want really direct advice, especially when it's on a big thing, because um, I think you knew already that I was going to come plant the church and that Sharon and I were going to go do that together. You knew, but... I think you also knew that if I got too much encouragement based around dad said it was a good idea, that when things really got hard, then I might wonder whether or not it was God's idea or if I was okay with it and just felt confident because dad said it was a good idea. Well, you know, that goes, that goes back a long ways and, and, um, I'll never, never forget when you were much younger than we're talking about now, mm. um, when you were 11, actually, and mm. you, um, I, I believed then that you were going to go into the ministry, and I think you sort of knew it, too. I did. Uh, in fact, you told me something to that effect, and uh, I really, that was one of the few times I really prayed and, and, and put it before God, and I said, you know, God, I know you have to tell him. But how do I teach the young? I mean, I'm just a guy, you know. I go to work, and that's all. <laughs> I <laughs> and, could argue but that point, but what I'll do I? What do I? <laughs> but but the point was, you know, I, I really implored God, how do I teach him? And and if I've ever heard God, it was clearer than audible. It was not audible, mm-hmm. but it's something I understood. And He so. said, "I'll teach him." Mm. So um, I, I tried to never cross that line. Mm-hmm. I really did. Number one, I'm not qualified to it. Don't you know? God always knows, and uh, I I leave calling you into the ministry and my other children for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you talked about me. I have always said when people, even when I was younger, the age you started the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and well, in, in my 20s. And I, people were always, you know, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm a husband mm-hmm. and I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. I pay for that habit by selling construction equipment. And that, <laughs> but I feel that way. You know, that's, that's, it's a means to an end. My yeah. job yeah. is a means to an end. And, and uh, that's always been what's important to me, mm-hmm. really important to me. And, and I'm thankful beyond just beyond the pale that mm-hmm. that you know i have three children you mentioned crystal and she's authored a book now and and but you know she's she and her husband rob have have literally been to all around the world yes they have ministering to thousands and thousands of mm-hmm. people and um farah who you know they they're the pastors at a church there farah's my little Defender of the week. She yes, she, she will, is. 
but uh, you know, they, and they also support ministries and and have been in, in China de- and in she Central defends the America. weak because she is not weak. She, she is, is strong she, enough to stand up to anybody and and, and will. And she will. that's that's her. That's, that's right. what she does. And, and and then of course you and Sharon and what you've done and and uh, you know I. I'm so happy that I don't have grief that a lot of my friends have mm. from where their children. You know, I have I have three children and there are three spouses who I consider my children as mm. well. Eight grandchildren, mm. four great grandchildren. <laughs> Every one of them loves Jesus Amen. today. Yeah. Everyone. Praise the Lord. All of my children and their spouses are in the ministry. Mm. Um, two of my grandsons are already ministering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I... I I'm I'm proud of them all, and, and I just felt yeah. that uh, it, it was a it was a good ride. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's that's that's kind of the state of our family tree right now. But that wasn't the state of our family tree before. Um, there are people who love the Lord for sure. Mm-hmm. But well, we've talked about this before, and it is another subject beyond what we're talking about today. But you changed the trajectory of our family line, and um, I'm you and mom together. Yeah, and, I, I was just gonna say, uh-huh. your mom's the one that wore her knees out. You know, yeah, I, she did. I I I prayed a lot on uh-huh. because I I needed the help. Uh, mm-hmm. Vicky, she was busy praying for you guys, and, <laughs> and uh, you know, but it's always what we both done. We did it together. Mm-hmm. You know, we lived on a tight budget because we decided early on she would be a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. You guys are what counts. Everything mm-hmm. else is... And, and to me, it's her and the three of you mm-hmm. at that time. But, um, yeah. the, you know, I, I know you know this, but there was a young lady when we first started the church, when you mm-hmm. first started the church over off Alcoa Highway, the old Clayton building, yep. who um, we sat in a small group, and she sat there in tears, and she said, you know, I always wanted to minister but all i get to do is raise these kids wow and and you Mm. know i i just i i told her i said you know it's amazing to me you would say just raise children because you know to me i mean i never got in my little canoe and paddled up the river but I stayed home and I built these three battleships, you see. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think they've turned into aircraft carriers and, <laughs> and more today. Uh, if you look at what what's the, the three of you and your spouses and mm-hmm. your children are doing, it's just, uh, you know, I, I, I just think it's terrific that you did that. Well, we knew, we knew when we were little that um, we, there was, I, I, I should even say, I didn't even conceive of the fact that there were people who put their careers ahead of their family. Like I was, I was like well into high school before I think I even knew that was a thing. Um, <laughs> and, and now as a pastor, I know it's an epidemic, but um, that, that was nowhere near the vibe in our home, nor was it ever. Um, I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, you mentioned uh, the old Clayton building on Alcoa Highway. Yeah. And so g- getting back to the, the, launch of our church now 18 years ago um i remember before it ever started um talking to you mm-hmm. and saying dad i don't know what i'm doing don't we don't even have a place to meet <laughs> and we went driving around town trying to find places yeah. praying and talking and not ever finding things and until one day you did do you, do you remember that day when you when you found us a place to meet found it went in and talked to the gals there and uh, the and they had a large 
room that was just perfect for, uh -huh. for a small church and uh -huh. a little kitchenette, things we could use, everything was fine. And um, so I grabbed you, we went, we went over and talked to them and and I was so excited because they had all this, these nice facilities, chairs, everything you need. Uh-huh. And um, she said it'd be $400 a month. Yep. And uh, I remember you turned pale. <laughs> <laughs> I remember nearly falling <laughs> over. Literally, you turned pale. I've never heard of so much money. But as we walked out, you said, I can't. There's no way I could pay that. I mean, you were living in your grandmother's basement. Yes, we were. And you and your wife were working part-time trying to spend your... Uh, you and yeah. Sharon. And, yes. and uh, you know... I just remember saying, look, I'll get the first two months after that, we'll see, and <laughs> and you never look back. I mean, yeah. two months from then, you, you were fine. You know, you, yeah. you started you started with you and Sharon and a group of people that were had leadership ability and really loved the Lord, and mm -hmm. that's the smartest thing you've done, you know, starting with Sharon, of course. But, <laughs> but stay, you know, and I think about right now, you're surrounded by people like Lindsay and Josh Armstrong and, 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 and Natasha mm -hmm. and, and you, and David mm -hmm. and, 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 um, you know, in spite of yourself, you've done great. So <laughs> yeah. you know, I, just kidding. Just kidding. It's uh, remarkable. The team that we have, man, I told Sharon yesterday, I said, I've thought about it a long time. I said, there's every single person on our staff. And we, I went through the whole list. I said, mm -hmm. I could not, I would literally fail at every single one of their jobs except for maybe Lindsay's, but that's basically because she has the same job. <laughs> I was like, if I had to do what David does, I would definitely fail. Johnny, I was like, I would fail immediately if I had to do what Johnny did. <laughs> and I just went down the list. And, and yeah. the sad thing was Sharon was like, yep, yeah, that's right. You'd yeah. fail at all those things. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sharon's brutally honest, isn't she? But, <laughs> yeah, she is. But, you know, I, but I remember not just that. It's like everything was going great you fill the place out or almost and mm -hmm. within a couple of months starting with a fewer than 12 probably mm -hmm. seven or eight would be my guess but um then they said the fire marshal says you can't meet here anymore and you're out mm -hmm. now and yeah so we found a little place in holiday inn which smelled great and and sharon hated it and Gosh. it was terrible but but we went from there to i, I guess from there directly over to um the little church building um, there yeah. in Allenwood community. Uh -huh. Spent some time there. Um, there's where you first hit 300 people. Or was it two, two or 300? You know, first time you scored yeah. 200 maybe. Two, yeah, it wouldn't have been three. Two, it was 200 there. Uh -huh. And uh, and then you found a building in Friendsville, moved over there. The problem with that is it's Friendsville. And he mm -hmm. says, we're, we're a Maryville vineyard. Uh -huh. so. yep. <laughs> but um, anyway, and then, then over to where we are now. And it was all a whole... Yeah, you know, I... made a big difference when we moved to this location. Man, everything changed. Yeah, and then I, I feel like maybe we're setting up for something like that again with this, so with this new move coming. Yeah. Well, I think when you know when you were thirteen or so, you you mentioned you were going to have a church someday right across <laughs> from the high school where uh -huh. you were. Now <laughs> I think it's a it's it's a middle school or something now, but. Um, it's actually more directly across the street from the high school than from the ninth grade academy. So it yeah, is, really. It's, well, yeah. Okay, and it, but it's uh -huh. it's right where you you sort of. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I actually don't even remember that, but but uh, I, yeah, well, it's true. always been in my mind that. Well, you sort of started there because you remember when you you and the FCA 
had a meeting at the flagpole outside of the. I do. <laughs> I do. You had this huge crowd of people that got saved and accepted the Lord, and mm-hmm. then I got this call from the school superintendent, and I'm ready to defend. Uh, and um, <laughs> what he wanted to know was, would you be willing to go to the other high schools and do it? Or would it be okay with me? I said, sure. <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, you know, you talk. I, well, you you've brought more people to God before you were 13 than I have to date. So, yeah. but, but I take credit for all that. So. There you go. That's the right. <laughs> and move. the other, and the others. <laughs> and the, yeah, my yeah, sisters. My other well siblings. That. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, dad, thanks for being um, so faithful uh, to our church for 18 years now. Thank you for giving me the courage to uh, helping give me the courage to take the leap. Thank you. Um, we're finding that first building and noticing that I was about to pass out and agreeing to cover the first couple of months <laughs> and, and all that came with it. Um, yeah. It's meant the world to me. Yeah. Thank you. And I, thanks for taking time to come and chat with us. Well, uh, now if you just, if your other dad would sit here and do this for you, you'd really, <laughs> then I could, yeah, we'd get an audience, wouldn't we? <laughs> there you go. Thanks, dad. <laughs> Hey everybody, I am here with Anna Kitko, and many of you know Anna, but perhaps uh, some of you don't. Uh, Anna, thanks so much for taking a minute here to talk with us. My very great privilege, love it. And Anna um, works for and with uh, Rocio Christi, and we at our local Maryville Vineyard here, uh, we interface with Rocio Christi because we host Rocio Christi Community Nights several times a year. But, and I'm not sure a lot of people have a, a broader sense of what you actually do day in and day out in addition to what just happens to happen here at our church. Why don't you give us a rundown? Yeah, Rosho Christi means Reason of Christ. Um, and what it is is a grassroots movement that it began with a bunch of pastors who were graduating seminary and getting their parish assignments, and they realized that there was a greater need and they were feeling called to do apologetics full-time and instead of get just another church plant going. Mm-hmm. And so instead they designed a framework that said, we're, we, what we wanna do is have formally trained apologists who you can look at as interdenominational and mm-hmm. who can operate interdenominationally and you can look at the pedigree of, um, and we're gonna use the university system as a network across the globe to plant these apologists. And it's going to come alongside pastors was the original goal to relieve them of some of the duties that are supposed to be there in a a parish that are overwhelming. So I didn't even know that was actually part of the vision. I just thought you were being very nice. No, no. When I say I I work for you, just so you know, in case you need me, I'm here for you. (laughs) That's, that's actually designed into the framework. That's, That's my entire emphasis. So we build libraries for local pastors. We handle, um, pesky congregants, Pesky congregants are our favorite people. Like, if you have lots of questions, we want you. And so your uh-huh. pastor can go, I am completely overwhelmed by that hyper-specific question about Hebrew grammar, but I know somebody who would kill to have coffee with you. Uh-huh. And then all this, the entire parish is served that way. Mm-hmm. And we can come alongside multiple churches at once. Yeah. That's the goal. So that was the original movement. And I got, my assignment was University of Tennessee. Right. So that's why I'm here. Yeah. And you came from Florida, right? I came from Florida. Yep. Yeah. And then tell me about some of the stuff you do on campus there. So that's the outreach to churches. Right. But what about on campus? So on campus, we lead two major movements, and that is a worldview 
class effectively. It's a group of students that get together and we teach dialectic. And that means you bring in as many different alternative worldviews into one space and we do a mini Areopagus. So the goal is that it's not a Bible study. There's no worship. Nobody's going to mm-hmm. feel like I'm coming into, you know, a secret Baptist club or, you know, anything like that. Right. And they feel like they can talk about all the things that they maybe were not able to talk about in church, maybe, or in their own worldview. So like we'll have Islamic students that come in mm-hmm. and ask questions they don't think they can ask. Yeah. So you, you specifically said no worship. Is that because no there can be an emotional element to worship? It's not just because there can be an emotional element to worship. We just separate the worship out for the students who are already wanting to worship Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And we make it so that we don't surprise anybody who's coming in who may have had a church trauma. Yeah. Who was looking at us as kind of their last, this is, this is your last chance Christian Christianity to do what you what I think you've promised Mm -hmm. and what we don't want to do is turn around and turn it into like a a church that you didn't know was a church but it's kind of doing it that way no accidental bait and switch exactly exactly cool and then Roscoe Christian community nights you do Mm -hmm. here or you we host them here and it's been a Two or three years now that we've been doing this? A little longer than that, yeah. I think it's it's closer to six, actually. Holy moly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I went back and looked recently. No, no, I'm bad at too. The only reason why I know that is because I went back and looked because I had to pull a really, really old one and I saw the date. Yeah. That is wild. Okay. And this was kind of your idea? This was not happening other places. It is not yet. A a couple other chapters have picked this up. Um, Mm -hmm. Not in the kind of the way that we've done it. But yeah, this came about because we're getting so many questions from the general public that I felt badly because our Mm -hmm. our clubs are closed meetings so that the Mm -hmm. students can actually talk about really personal things and Mm -hmm. not worry about it getting out. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing with our professors. That's the other club as we have an entirely run professor group that does the same thing. Um, But I felt badly. The general public had questions and I was Mm -hmm. like, well, why don't we just do a really giant group session and see what happens? Yeah. And that was the what is truth, which was, you know, Fair, fairly reasonable showing for a mm-hmm. really heady topic. Yep. And then we had 250 people show up for that first manuscript night. And, uh-huh. we're, and I was like, well, maybe we need to keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, there's a need here. People yeah. are responding. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. So we've got three of those coming up this fall. Correct. And just, uh, I'll read it to get it right. One is happening September 11th. So that's this coming Sunday mm-hmm. from when this will post. Yeah. Um, then, uh, October 9th and then November 11th. So that's actually the second Sunday of each of the upcoming months and for three for three months. And then that's at seven o'clock here at the Maryville Vineyard and it goes till 830 ish. Yeah. yeah. And that's tell us about the format, how that how that goes. I try to speak for no longer than 45 minutes sometimes it goes into a little bit closer to an hour depending upon how difficult the topic is you do a better job staying on time than i do i really try that it matters to me that people don't feel like i'm abusing their time because they're spending a sunday evening with me they could be doing literally anything else and we're doing apologetics so i want to make sure that they that they're Mm -hmm. served reasonably well because i could probably Mm -hmm. ramble for hours if Mm -hmm. if you let me um but then it's open q a and the q a is open to all topics it's not just the topic that's discussed although the vast majority of questions end up being on the topic for the evening yeah but we've we've had plenty of them coming from all All over over the place place. (laughs) yeah and you you stand up there and yeah 
give it your best shot and yep. usually nail it and sometimes say, I don't know, oh, which I, I really so. appreciate your willingness to say, that's I very, don't know. That's very important for people to hear. Or I don't know, but I know where to look and, mm-hmm. we'll, and I'll circle back with you. And I've, I have discovered that you actually do go look it up, circle back with no, people. Yeah, that's real. Have, when you say we'll have coffee, you actually do that. And yes. you've had coffee with lots and lots of people yes. who came loaded with questions. And um, I've I've appreciated that because okay, well sometimes the apologist is we you know you know they fly in do this do the lecture fly out which yeah. I mean you get to a certain scale I guess that's how you do it but yeah. the most of these things need to be worked out individually so they do and I have a, a neuroses a little bit of like neglecting somebody accidentally because mm. like that the parish. Um, distinction for apologists is the same for pastors where if your parish gets too large it's time to bring in another person Mm -hmm. because your work should still be on a personal level Mm -hmm. so we have to be mindful of that to make sure nobody's neglected yeah that's good that's good so um for this fall it sounds like you're responding to a whole load of questions that have come in and there's been some themes that have developed and so is it fair to say that the the three that are happening this fall are based on themes that have emerged yes exclusively and are these questions that people are giving you at previous ratio christi community nights or is these are just ones that are coming to you along the way how does that work all across the board so community nights i use questions that the community members have brought me so nothing from like outside Mm -hmm. so keep it in in like knox blount county things like that guys up in roan county things like that um and then it's based on anything from emails to text messages to Anna quick come here after church mm-hmm. or or the little like sneak over and sit next to me during the worship service and be like, I have a question. Uh-huh. Like so all of those <laughs> things, like they, they kind of merge together and sure. then I try to pick out the themes of things that I think people are desperate to hear somebody volunteer to talk about. Mm-hmm. And usually people show up when mm-hmm. I volunteer to talk about them. So yeah. it's partially a guess, partially a I think this is where this is going. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So this first one coming up this this coming Sunday, mm-hmm. it's going to be focused around sex, sex. sexuality, sexual yep. boundaries, things like that. Yep. All of the above. So what how do you plan on approaching that? Cuz yeah. that's a that's a doozy. I'm always I, I'm always impressed with your bravery, Anna. So how are you going with this one? Somebody, half of my time is, is is trying to look at all the things that I wish somebody had done when I was growing up mm. um, and then doing that. Sure. Um, just so that at the very least people could be like, oh, I've, I've never seen anybody volunteer to talk about that. And somebody, whoever's been to a Russian Christian community, I can be like, well, I have at least once. Mm-hmm. So they can say that. Yes. But with this one, <laughs> I've been browbeating the hermeneutic circle. So we're teaching uh-huh. a Bible study here yes, at church yeah. and I've been browbeating it for deconstruction. Uh-huh. This is technically... Um, deconstruction part two. So Mm -hmm. the type of deconstruction that happens when you're actually abused inside the church. Mm -hmm. And I mean that on like a clinical level Mm -hmm. abuse, it's a different type of deconstruction. You're Mm -hmm. dealing with different pains. Mm -hmm. And so these three topics, um, my students very, um, lovingly and, and very amused referred to it as sex, drugs, and rock and roll, uh-huh. which is not quite accurate, but yeah. it's, it's close enough. And sex was the major theme for the amount of questions that I was re- receiving. And it's like way major, like yeah. over 80%. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that even the college students have asked for an entire semester devoted just to that topic all, across the board, anything they can think of. So we'll be doing that next semester for sex week and everything. But here for community night, I thought we'd hit it by going to song of songs uh-huh. and going through it hermeneutically. Okay. So a, a broad scale fascination in sex and sexuality. Not surprising. No, <laughs> not even to be the way it goes. Not even a little bit. All right. So tell us what you're going to do with, with song of Solomon and just a, maybe a bit of a, 
a bit of a sneak peek of what your approach is going to be. The sneak peek is, and I'll give this, I'll talk about this a little bit in the introduction, is that um, I took on this task because it's really hard to embarrass me. I, and I like topics that are... Which I took as a dare, by the way. Well, wait till, <laughs> yes, wait. Well, and you'll see, there's another promo coming where I literally do that. Oh, really? Um, I'm, I'm easily embarrassed. So I would be blushing the whole time, but you... <laughs> Okay, but so yeah, it's one of accepted. my favorite things to talk about because it's uh-huh. so neglected. Uh huh. Um, right. I really feel like it is. And but what's interesting is I went back to my office. I have a big library, and I was like, "We can totally handle this. Let's just pull whatever mm-hmm. as many commentaries as I can. Get some reformers in here. Get some Puritans. Get mm-hmm. the whole thing." And I suddenly realized, to my deep panic, um, that there aren't any. Mm-hmm. There are almost zero commentaries on Song of Songs that aren't just Hebrew grammar. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have any other theologians to lean on to do this type of like the deep dive church history theology because they've all avoided it. And I literally have quotes from every single era with major thinkers being like, I'm not touching that. Really? Yes. Like they're all scared of it. So I go to my childhood pastor who has 30 years worth of sermons that Uh I go to when I'm panicky just Mm -hmm. to be like, well, what did he have to say about Uh this? I literally have a recording of him saying, I've never preached out of Song of Songs and someday I might get the courage to do so. Wow. So <laughs> this is this is as much of a test of Anna's ability to do mm-hmm. hermeneutics as anything. Yeah. Um, and I've decided since it's so deep, Song of Songs is Song of Songs is similar to Holy of Holies in that like this is supposed to be the penultimate mm-hmm. example of intimacy mm-hmm. on a physical level mm-hmm. along with spiritual level, along with a whole bunch of different layers. I mean, this is a giant onion of a mm-hmm. uh, book. But I my specialty is the psychology aspect. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I won't go anywhere that I'm not prepared to go so that I don't shred the scriptures accidentally or put too much Anna in. Mm-hmm. And instead I will only go with what I absolutely can put my finger on as this is the Hebrew grammar. This is what's going text. on and to do the clinical analysis for it. So we'll be getting yeah. a systematic theology of medicine in sexuality. That's going to be good. That sounds like a big challenge. Yes. I have a question. Okay. So song of songs or song of Solomon written yes. by Solomon and Solomon's pretty much the sex doctor of the Bible. Yes. Um, and yet, you know, he's not exactly a perfect model for us to follow. You talked about the penultimate example of yes. intimacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think of deep intimacy when I think of at least how Solomon ended his life or toward the end of his life. No, thousands of wives yeah. by the end of his life. So how, do, how, how are we supposed to think about that when, when he's written our main text and he's not exactly a paragon of virtue? Yes. Well, when I read the text and I look at what's going on and how it's being phrased, it reminds me a lot of Ecclesiastes, which he is also the author of. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is there's an entire section in Ecclesiastes where he talks about he is completely indulged in a hedonistic lifestyle just to see what it turns out. And in his infinite wisdom, and it's, we all kind of saw this coming. Mm -hmm. He's like, this is a train wreck. Uh This is horrible. So in my mind to see this man who has all of this experience, especially when it comes to really horrible sexuality Mm -hmm. um, and abuse, frankly, Mm -hmm. of his body and others and Mm -hmm. the the stuff that comes out and the things that we know about Solomon, for him to be the author of this book makes total sense Mm -hmm. because he would know. He's been down all the roads. Uh-huh. Is that what you're saying? Yes, and he's yeah. admitted it. Uh-huh. So it makes total sense for him to be like, no, 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 in in his wisdom to be able to produce this incredible poem mm-hmm. that says this is what it's supposed to be. Yeah, because he knows all the ways that it can go wrong. How closely do we have 
the Song of Songs actually dated? Like, do we do we know well enough to know that he's on the other side of that wild streak that he had, or we don't? We don't, um, we don't have as precise a date, so that's me thinking I know him, having read him all these years. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have a precise date for Song of Songs, and it's possible that, in like you you'll see how it's structured, that he's not even really talking about himself. He wasn't seeing himself as the main character, the lover. Mm-hmm. He was imagining the the lover as he should be Mm. and it's not him yeah and you kind of pick up on that in the text especially given that this book the main character is a female Mm -hmm. yes it is the beloved Uh uh-huh well you've heard me say it before knowing better doesn't always add up to doing better no and unfortunately we know from solomon wisest man who ever lived Mm -hmm. but who later forsook that wisdom Mm -hmm. and maybe this fits a little bit into one of those categories but doesn't mean he couldn't speak to it no not Um, at all and with real inspiration as well and has in his other texts yeah 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 so any discussion on how we manage just the intense drives of sexuality itself i mean I, i think because we Maybe this is the marvelization of our society, but anything with great power, we tend to either make it a superhero or a Mm supervillain. And sometimes it's just powerful, but it's neither of those two things. I think that's happened with sex. For some people, it's their hero and the champion that saves all. And for others, it is the most evil, vicious villain of them all. And those are two extremes that people really tend to fall into. Yes, especially within Christianity in particular there seems to me to be a lack of ability to determine the middle ground between hedonism and asceticism. Mm. Like you're, yeah, you're either completely Epicurean, like any urge Mm -hmm. is positive and this is really the authentic you and you're to follow each urge and that's what you're supposed to do and everything is free for you, no matter how damaging it could possibly be. Uh Um, And we see that in the different types of pornography. Right. And the yeah. things that are positive or uh, seen as positive in the pornographic world uh-huh. um, and the different levels, the, the way that violence has increased, things like that. Um, but then the other side is asceticism. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's anything sexual is a negative mm-hmm. to the point of like we all hate the vulva mm-hmm. and have no idea how to navigate it. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Yeah. And I'm seeing that all the way into clinical therapy. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is Yahweh's territory. This doesn't belong to the enemy and it yeah. never has. So Amen. why does he have a monopoly on dictating what we do with those things? Yeah. Well said. Okay. Well, I'm intrigued. We're all going to get together this Sunday night. Everyone but you is going to blush and we're going to talk openly about sex and boundaries and sexuality. Yes. That's the first night. The second Ratio Christie community night. What should we expect for that one? That one's the drugs aspect. So that's the that's the second most asked question um, lately. And it's it's been coming in way more often. So if I had like if I had assessed the question types um, mm. and I hadn't stopped in like August, then we would get to the drugs aspect. And this is like, are all pharmaceuticals sin? Mm. Are the groups that are popping up locally that, you know, say that any type of um, prescription drug needs to be gotten off of because it's sin and it's weakness and it's a lack of sanctification. And so they're lack bringing you in. It's a lack like of if faith. You trust, if you yep. trust God to kill you, then you won't take the meds. Yes, precisely. And it's your... So well, that's an old story, but yes. is it... Is that getting renewed emphasis? Because if so, it's kind of, is it specifically around drugs that are pointed toward mental health? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So like I was, I happened to be part of a massive debate from my theological tradition um, recently that involved some pretty big names going back and forth in front of thousands of people on this oh. subject. So that was part of why I was, I was, in, I was shocked that it was happening in that circle because I come from a, a fairly systematic and robust um, theology that doesn't touch on drugs ever. Mm-hmm. So for that to be suddenly to have so many people with so many opinions suddenly pop up, that was odd to me. And then to have the amount of questions that were coming in on particularly mushrooms, the utilization of mushrooms and CBD. The CBD made sense Mm -hmm. um, because Tennessee now you can do Delta 8 and Delta 10 Mm -hmm. um, legally. Mm -hmm. Which are pretty powerful. Very. Yeah, yeah, very powerful. And then prescribing things, you Mm -hmm. know, as alternatives. So like you can do CBD instead of Ambien, things like Mm -hmm. that. Is that allowed? Mm -hmm. What does that look like? What does that mean? Where are the boundaries? Nobody knows, right? Yeah. So I thought, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Because we know actually on that subject, way more than people realize. How so? Well, pharmakia, the where we get pharmacology from, mm-hmm. is a word in both Hebrew and Greek. I, I forget the Hebrew right now to be able to pronounce it, but what we, what we translate pharmakia. Um, there are two types in the scripture. And so a lot of times what I'm seeing is people conflating when the first type pharmakia is translated sorcery versus when it's translated in a different way, the people, the keepers of pharmacia, which tend to be clinicians in the New Testament. And I feel, I see that often conflated. Yeah, Yeah, well, there's a time in which maybe the line between doctor and witch doctor isn't nearly as clear as it is today. Is that fair to say? Very much so. And especially in the first century, there were different kinds. And it was essentially like a drug dealer type scenario, Mm -hmm. but it depended upon the intention of the person and where they were trained and did they go to school, things like that. So like white willow bark, Mm. that's something that was used. That's something you could anticipate Luke giving you as a cup of tea if you came to him really struggling. Uh And, you know, now we look at it and we can see, I can see shamans using white willows Uh to make um, sweat lodges, Uh right? And you go in and you involve fire and you involve sweat for long periods of time with uh-huh. white willow. Uh-huh. And everybody comes out and is like, I'm so rested. This is incredible. Yes, you just made a giant tea bag that you sat in for three days. <laughs> the Christians have been doing that uh-huh. in a smaller form uh-huh. since time immemorial. Yeah. So just being able to, to navigate that world a little bit more than just like, it's magic. Like, yeah. I want to do that. Sorry. Well, the explosion of science, of science just, I mean, just since the Enlightenment, has mm-hmm. the questions are entirely different and the approaches are entirely different. Mm-hmm. And what was once seen as purely mystical now has different categories laid over it. Yes. And, yes. and as you mentioned it earlier, but I mean, the explosion in fascination and psychedelics right now yes. has got my attention. It has definitely got my attention. Is that part of where you plan to go on that second Yes, night? this is a huge deal, especially in mm-hmm. my field, because, for example, Cave 4 in Qumran, where all those wonderful Old Testament scrolls came out of, mm. there was a scroll that couldn't be read for half a century at least because of wine stains, oh. and it got filed. And this just happened in the last month. It got filed for years and years and years, and we suspected it was probably you know, Isaiah, some section of Isaiah or something like uh-huh. that, because we have big sections of that. Uh-huh. And it wasn't, it was it was Esther, the missing book from the Qumran library that everybody was like, why isn't Esther here? It was there. Wow. Do you know how they figured out that it was Esther? I'm, you're gonna tell me, I bet. They microdosed a psilocybin mushrooms so they could study their hands and they could focus their eyeballs. So biblical scholarship is now microdosing a psilocybin in order to do their jobs better. 
solving biblical mysteries. Really? Yes, this just happened in the last three weeks. So now I'm sitting here going, okay, the FDA is fast-tracking a psilocybin for treatment. Uh We're fast-tracking other types of acid for PTSD treatment, which I treat on a daily basis in my office. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing treatments that are permanent and long-lasting after one trip. Uh-huh. How do we navigate that? Yes. How can that be abused? Because it will be abused because we're humans. Yes. Where are the lions? It, and it has been. Oh my gosh. It has been. So how different do we think about it? Just if just because there's regulation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how much of this is like Romans 13? You know, the governing authorities over us, and now yes. we're free to to utilize these things. Versus where do the Christians start forming boundaries so that we can make sure that our governing authorities aren't crossing any lines? Yeah. And then we have to watch because I'm a cult specialist. We just have to start watching people lacing mm-hmm. things in order to get control because they can. Yeah. Because that's how it works. For You're sure. controlling the amygdala. That's how yeah. that process works. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm really looking forward then to community night two, where you will remove all the ambiguity and gray from that entire discussion. (laughs) And we will know how to, how to get through all of that because that sounds tricky. I'm also looking forward to me doing that. (laughs) So surely the third, uh, Rosh Christie night then will be something very easy, (laughs) low key and non-controversial. As as usual. (laughs) Tell us what you got planned for that one. So that one's actually, I'm actually the most excited about in the sense that, um, it's practical application is going to be immediate. Um, we're going to be talking about critical theory mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking about it in its history so that we can get a full picture of what's going on. And my hope is that we can then as Christians, if we can navigate what's going on, we can take out the good parts yes. and not bring in all of the bad parts. Mm-hmm. And we can also train others to do the same thing mm-hmm. because there's a lot of really wonderful aspects that are being abused and warped yeah. and definitions are changing of words and they know that and it's mm-hmm. purposeful and it's engineered that way. And so, so it's simultaneously very difficult to navigate while being super obvious. I feel yeah. like, like the content is like, of course we like diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're uh-huh. Christians. <laughs> exactly. Like, why is this even a discussion? Yeah. And then you dig deeper and you're like, Oh, uh-huh. cause there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's going along with it yeah. that doesn't have anything to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. I mean, the fact that those are becoming buzzwords is, is kind of heartbreaking. Yes. Like those, I, I, I thought we were all on the same page with that. <laughs> well, I mean, to some extent it yeah. seemed like there was, there was unity and in some sense it feels like there's been steps backward in that regard instead of forward. So, but based on what you were saying, I guess it's fair to say that Christian theory or Christian theory, <laughs> critical theory, mm-hmm. pardon me, critical theory as it was originally presented is something different than what we're hearing about in sign in sound bites from pundits so much insane levels of documentation like when i show you you're gonna be like what yeah and it's uh, it's literally designed to take out christianity and that's Mm. not just anna saying that to sound dramatic like Mm. we have the quotes there's there's it's literally a cabal that was what it was designed to be wow yeah yeah, that's that's stunning. I you know, when critical theory as I have as I as I as I tend to come across it, I have such a hard time parsing it out and and I've mentioned this to you before because instead of anybody 
I'm having a hard time finding people actually explaining what it originally was and was intended to be versus what how I, I think it's being used now, which seems like, that to me, I, I, I'm so confused on this subject. <laughs> seems like very different things. Mm-hmm. And from one side of the spectrum, I'm hearing it explained uh, in a way that is so histrionic and mm-hmm. fearful that I just, I, I don't, I don't trust the source yeah, no kidding. because there's so much fear mongering around it. Yes. Um, and it couldn't possibly, you hear about it, it's like, how could that possibly be real? We are in 2022. Right. How could any of this be real? Right. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Um, and then, but then the other, it, it, each side of the discussion seems so reactive to the other side of the discussion that I have a really hard time just parsing out like what is even the meat and potatoes of the actual discussion. Like yeah. I, I haven't been able to track it. So <laughs> maybe you'll be able to help put a finger on it yeah, um, because yeah. I frankly haven't been I haven't been able to in my in my attempts. I hope so. Rasha Christie has decided that we were going to spearhead that particular navigation as best we possibly could. We were the first to publish books on the subject. Mm -hmm. Um, We've partnered with uh, atheists and um, Christian apologists across the globe. So Peter Bogosian has partnered with us. James Lindsay has done work with us. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the other side, you've got Neil Shenvey, who does excellent work. Um, Vadi Bakum has done a lot of work Mm -hmm. on this subject. Um, He's real big with us as well. Last I checked, back when he was in the States, now he's in Africa. Um, But the point is, is like we literally have the entire gambit, the entire spectrum, and they all have exactly the same thing to say about this Mm. material. And these are guys who were present for these meetings. Yeah, wow. And who are not Christians and who are as progressive as it gets. Well, I'm I'm happy to hear you say we're going to be able to pick out or at least begin the process of picking out the best bits because I've, I've certainly heard things and thought, well, that sounds... That sounds absolutely true. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have the mind to be able to, to encapsulate exactly what are and are not the systemic forces at play. It seems clear to me that there are systemic forces at play, but then that is being presented to me in a way that that becomes uh, almost like a, a ruling truth that that governs all. Yes. And I was like, well, now that feels like an ideology, exactly, and not. And not in the good way, like yes. in, a, in an ideology that is concerning to me, if it's elevated to that. But what I honestly don't know is, is it actually being elevated to that degree? Or is that fear-mongering pundits wanting me to think that it's being elevated to that degree? And I, I just, I'm left, I'm left dazed and confused. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited that you're going to try to help bring a little bit of clarity. Because yeah, I hope so. I, I'm, I'm left reeling by the conversation. I see things that seem beautiful and hopeful and true and values that seem right. And then there are other things that just strike me in a way that I was like, yes. even if this isn't, it's hard because I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, I think first and foremost through like religious and theological categories. And so, but I should be able to say, okay, there are elements of critical theory that I don't see. I don't understand how that can map over my Christian theology. It's because it can't. It, I, the way what what little I do understand, there right. are parts where I go. I just don't see how that could possibly map over right. over mine. But that doesn't mean that there isn't truth there, right. or there isn't something beneficial that we can be gained. Right. But I feel like I'm being uh, um, encouraged that you either take all of it or you take none of it, or or you take all of it or you're hostile to all of it. Mm-hmm. 
And um, that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's be- I think it's the natural proclivity of man to be as lazy as humanly possible when it comes to our like when you have a really difficult subject matter. If you have an excuse to just completely disregard it, mm-hmm. you'll take it because it's just it's too much work to parse through all those things and mm-hmm. take out the parts that are supposed to be good. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's you get to the point where they're like the the world is unjust, and you're like yes. Mm-hmm. And we need to stand for justice. And the Christians are like, yes. Mm-hmm. And we need to be aware of the ways that different people groups are being marginalized. And we're like, yes. absolutely, we're right there. Yeah, and this then they're is like, straight from the pages of scripture. Yeah, and, and, and therefore, the entire world boils down to a, a power struggle. And therefore, mm-hmm. we're going to justify using power to overpower the people who we think have power over us. And we're going to burn the world to the ground, right? You're mm-hmm. right there with us, right, Christians? And we're like, what, what, what? Lost how, did we, how did we get to that conclusion? That's kind of what's going on. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then I've got to think that there are, there are voices that wouldn't take it to such extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, it feels like we're in a context in which only the extreme voices are really heard. Yes. And those are the ones I most want to dismiss. But I, they're, they're the ones I can only even seem to find. And I feel like I'm looking pretty hard yeah. for the measured, balanced perspectives mm-hmm. that, that don't see everything as a zero-sum game, for mm-hmm. example. And I, boy, they're, they're difficult to find. So I'm, I'm glad you've put a lot of thought into it, and I'll, I'll hope to learn some stuff. Um, because, you know, I, I, I feel very much like we can be 100% from the pages of Scripture— completely on board for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and to the, to the nth degree, um, and then still maybe be able to say, that doesn't mean this entire superstructure of thought maps over Christianity well, because I, I'm not always sure that it does. But that doesn't mean you're throwing out the whole thing. Yeah, I'm talking in circles. You'll do much better. No, no, no. Uh, this is great. You'll this do is, much better. This is on great. The I should have brought a notebook night. so I can just take. Them. <laughs> that's a bit. Well, that's going to be a really challenging fall. I'm excited um, for all three of them. Good. Thank you so much for all the time and effort you put into this. Thank sure. you for being available to people when they and we have lots and lots of questions. Um, it's a real gift to our church. I really appreciate it. I love my job anytime. I love your language about um, truth never runs from scrutiny. So let's push and let's question and let's scrutinize and let's get closer to the truth in the process. And, yeah. and let's be kind in the doing. So, exactly. Yeah. So the entire body is edified that way. How else could it be? Amen. Thank you, Anna Kiko. Sure. Sure.